Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to continue on. We've been, we're going to end in chapter three this week, finally. We've been in, uh, the, if you have missed any of the, the previous of the series, we've been going 12 weeks so far in the book of Philippians. It's just so, so rich and so much goodness <clears throat> for us to find from Paul here. But we're going to continue on and we're going to start in uh, chapter three, verses 15 through 21. And then we're going to hit the first verse of chapter four. Just before we do that, let's just recap really quick. In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul is telling everyone, you cannot earn your salvation by following the way of the old law. It is by faith in Jesus Christ, and then God gives you the grace because of that faith in Christ. <clears throat> and that is the only way to, um, to be reconciled to God. And then he encourages everybody to continue to drive forward, run the race, um, go forward and being obedient to what God has for us and for, uh, for, for our calling and our purpose for his life, okay? So that's all happened, and now we pick up in verse 15, okay? Let us all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made, dear brothers and sisters. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of, the, of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They bring about shameful things, and they think only about the life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Then chapter 4. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. <clears throat> Number one in your notes, in the first line, uh, the, the, the first of three things that we're going to draw our attention to in this passage this week is this. Believers can disagree. Believers can disagree. Believe it or not, they can Let's recap real quick verses 15 and 16. Let all who are spiritually immature agree on these things. Agree on what? You can't earn your salvation through keeping the law. It's only through faith in Christ. Continue running the race God has set before you. Let's all agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold to the progress we've already made. So now remember here that Paul is primarily talking to believers in Christ. He's talking to Christian men and women. And he's saying to them, um, keep in mind all of the progress we've already made. Do not turn your back on the idea of uh, salvation. It only comes through uh, grace in God, through faith in Christ. Don't go back to this earning the, trying to earn your salvation. It doesn't work. But if we run up on a disagreement here, I pray that God will make it plain for us. Our culture is... Um, um, one that has grown into the last several years that believes a lie. And I think Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, the, you know, the long-haired guys with the beards and the with like ZZ Top and the McDuck calls, you know what I mean? He's had a television show a long time ago. He said it best. He said there's two lies our culture has believed. Number one, that if you disagree with someone, you don't love them. It is possible to disagree with someone and still love them. Our culture says, accept everything that I do. And if you tell me that something I do is wrong or not in line with scripture or is against the teachings of Christ, then you obviously don't love me. You hate me. Stop, stop being a hater, right? Stop hating on me. I need to do what I want to do and you need to accept it. And if I don't accept it, it means you don't love me. And that is nonsense. You can disagree and still love someone. This is what Paul is dealing with here in this chapter. He's saying we've made so much progress. Let's not divide on, these, on some, some kind of disagreement here. But we can disagree. And I want to talk about this, this disagreement between believers just 
for uh, just for a few minutes because it's important for us to understand you can disagree with another believer on some things and it doesn't have to shatter your relationship. So there are two categories of issues that we will face in the body of Christ. I'm going to create two categories here in front of us, okay? Letter A in your notes, primary issues. The first is primary issues, letter A. Primary issues have to do with the foundational core of our belief as, as Christian people. It has to do with um, the, the, the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That it's only through salvation. Salvation only comes through faith in Christ and by the grace of God. This is the core message of our, of our faith. It's a core message. And it's important that we, have to, we understand this is a primary issue. It's a primary issue that we need to hold in high regard. Why? Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10. Paul is talking about kind of a similar concept to a church in Galatia. Okay, so let me read the, let me read the scripture to you. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Next on your notes, Paul is warning the church in Philippi of people who distort the gospel and change the message of Christ. He is warning them about these people. I think it's, I think it's unbelievably ironic that within a few years after Jesus' death, there are already people stepping forward and trying to distort the gospel. They're already trying to put their own spin on it. They're, only, they're trying to take a little bits of truth and, and, and weave them into a different tapestry that allows me to, to, to compromise morally, that allows me to find, you know, Jesus is a way to heaven. He's a good way. He's a really good way. He's not only the only way. And there's all of these distortions that start to happen immediately, immediately after Christ's death. The, the, the good news of the gospel goes out and people go, well, that's not true. All the way from the beginning, and it's been happening for two millennia since then, people are trying to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul has given us a warning. Hey, there are people already out here in these streets that are trying to, to act up and trying to get you to believe something else. And if you take one of these core primary foundational principles and twist them or change them or remove them, it is a different gospel. And there's not another one. That means it's a lie. That means it's a lie. So... In an effort for all of the believers, right after the time of, of, of Jesus' death, as, as the, the apostles are following the Great Commission, they're going into the world and they're spreading the, the news of the gospel and they're preaching the truth about the gospel and telling everybody about Jesus and how he raised from the dead. Faith in him is salvation. They're, pre, they're, they're preaching these primary issues. All of the believers begin to get together. And the next line in your notes, they do something. In an effort to combat corruption of the gospel, early believers in Jesus developed a creed, a creed to summarize the apostles' teachings and their beliefs. A creed is basically just a statement of faith. This is what I believe. We all believe on this and we all sign off on the same thing. And so what they did is they took the teachings of the apostles that were the, the, primary, the, the primary issues of the gospel and they developed something called the apostles' creed. I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed because I think it's a great summary, and I put it in your notes, a great summary of what the primary issues of, of faith in Christ really are in Christianity. Here it is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. I'll come back to that statement. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, when he says that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church... Notice that it is not the capital C, so it's not the Catholic Church that we, that we know. It's a lowercase c. He's not saying, you know, the, the Vatican, the Pope, the, you know, the archdiocese, the, you know, the archbishops, the, 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 the sisters, the nuns, you know, the priests and the confessional booths and, you know, purgatory and all the, the, the buildings around the world that are so lavish and beautiful. He's not talking about that as the Catholic Church. This creed... Um, is referring to that word Catholic as in all the believers. That word Catholic actually means universal. So you'll notice there's a note in your notes, so there's no confusion here. The word Catholic does not refer to the Catholic Church, but is a term used for universal church encompassing all believers. So what they're saying here is, I believe that all believers in Jesus are part of the body of Christ. Now, this Apostles' Creed is something very good. And if you even want to commit it to memory, it would, it would do you well because it holds almost all of the core beliefs of what we, what we would consider primary issues. These are a, a highly regarded, very important group of primary issues. Why? Next line of your notes. The primary issues are non-negotiable and are the foundation of our Christian faith. These primary issues are non-negotiable. There's not any conversation that can be had. Well, is Jesus really the only Son of God? Is He really the true Son of God? There's, there's no conversation. It is what it is. Primary issue. There's no discussion. There's no back and forth. One God sent His one Son to the earth to die on a cross. Did He really die on the cross? As a major world religion um, that's very prominent today teaches that He didn't really die on the cross. He did. Historic. All the historical documents point to it. It is true. He died. There's a non-negotiable on that. These are the primary issues. Next on your notes. Any teaching, whether it comes from a self-professed Christian or not, that strays from these core principles is what Paul describes as another gospel. If any of these core principles stray, it is another gospel. Why? Next on your notes, very important. Primary issues are salvation issues. All of these primary issues that are non-negotiable deal with our salvation. Primary issues are salvation issues. So, we, next on your notes, we must know Scripture and be confident in what we believe so we do not fall prey to a counterfeit gospel. All of these preachers, your whole life, if you've ever been in church or if you've been in church just for a little while, you hear everybody talk about, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Why? There's several reasons. I hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. But also, it is so you have a clear understanding of what you believe, what Christ teaches, and what the primary issues are. Okay? So we established what the primary issues are. Second category, letter B. In your notes, everything else, secondary issues. We got primary issues that are non-negotiable. And then we have secondary issues. Next line in your notes. These issues are ones that do not impact the core of our faith. They don't impact the core of our faith. They're not salvation issues. Let me give you a couple of secondary issues that people in the church talk about and sometimes divide over. Uh people's uh, view on the rapture. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture. I know people, churches that exist in this valley that have into their statement, they are only pre-trib, and if you talk about anything else, you're a heretic and you're a liar from the pits of hell. I'm not even kidding. It's written, um, not that strongly, it's how they believe it, but it's written into the core values of their actual church. There are, this is a secondary issue. Why? I can tell you right now that if it's really pre-tribulation rapture, all the post-trib people are going to be real happy. And if it is, in fact, post-tribulation, 
everybody was going to wish it was pre-trib because it's going to get bad. It does not matter. We can disagree on something like this because it's not a salvation issue. It's a secondary issue. You got me? Right. Another thing, drinking alcohol. I'm not talking about getting drunk. I'm talking about drinking alcohol. Some people are like, you should never touch it. It's the devil's poison. You know, all I got these people over here are like, bro, loosen up. You know, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Let's kick a few back. And people divide over the issue. It's a secondary issue because it has nothing to do with salvation. The age of the earth. People read Genesis and go, the world can't be older than 10,000 years. And then other Christian believers go, man, if you can factor in all these things, it's like 13.7 billion years old. If the laws of physics and all the, all the, the, the laws of physics have never change, if they've been consistent throughout all of time, it's actually 13 billion years old. It's only 10,000. And people divide over this thing. But guess what? God made it. And it has nothing to do with your salvation. We shouldn't separate over these things. They're, sep- they're, they're secondary issues. If the flood of Noah was global or regional, some people believe that the, the flood of Noah literally encompassed the whole earth. Some people believe the flood of Noah only encompassed all of the known earth, and it was a regional event. And there's scripture that they use to, to, to stand in these positions. The Sabbath is Saturday. Somebody else goes, no, the Sabbath is Sunday. And you argue about these things. All of these things are secondary issues because they don't impact salvation. Because good people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who did die, was buried, and raised again, and faith in Him is the only way to Jesus, disagree on these things. So what happens if somebody else who's a believer in this building or at a different church or in a different denomination or whatever, you meet them somewhere and you have disagreement on secondary issues? What happens? Do you throw the gloves off and start scrapping? Do we like hook a, hook a rope to our Bible and be like, wham, and smack them with it? Because I got a scripture for that sucker. You know what I mean? Do, are we, are we going like, to do like biblical scriptural jujitsu to try to fight other believers on secondary issues? No, here's what we should do. Next line of your notes. We should maintain respect for fellow believers who may think differently than us on secondary issues. This is a completely countercultural idea. Maintain respect for someone who disagrees with you? If you've not seen this, open up any any social media app and try to say that I like the president or I don't like the president and see what kind of vial comes out of people's mouths or across their thumbs, right? This is completely countercultural. If you would just maintain respect as a believer in Christ for someone who disagreed with you, it is a wildly great chance to witness to someone. How come you're not mad? Because I insulted your political party. Because it's kind of a man-made thing, and all my hope is in Christ anyway. And so, I mean, i gotta take, I got to take responsibility and participate here. But, I mean, Jesus is the final say of all this stuff, right? I'm going to be with him, whoever the president is, whatever party's in control. It doesn't matter, right? right. Whether you're happy with it or, or you're sad with it. Why divide on these things when we can show people, hey, we can maintain respect and it'd be a witness to someone else. Uh, this is a challenge. This next line I know is a challenge for everybody in here and anyone who would listen to this later. Our position on all issues should be based on Scripture without allowing smaller issues to cause division in us as believers. It should be based in Scripture. If you're a pre-trib person and you know a post-trib person or vice versa, or if you're a no alcohol at all or I can have one a couple times just not get drunk kind of person, guess what? I don't care what you believe on that stuff as long as your belief is rooted in Scripture because there are scholars, there are um, people with PhDs, there are people who have uh, have spent their entire life studying cultural phenomenon and the, and the Semitic languages that the, the Bible was written in originally who disagree on these things. It's okay to disagree because if I'm right all the time, guess what? 
I'm not really right. I got to listen to somebody else who has a different perspective and see what they're looking at in Scripture. Our job is to continue to be, to, to show the example of Christ to each other, operate in love with each other, and maintain respect. But the Bible has to be our authority. I don't care what position you hold on those things, go back to the Bible and don't let it divide us. Matt, why? We just read Paul. If there is a disagreement between you, I pray that the Lord would make it plain. But let us not lose the progress that we have already made. The progress on agreeing what the primary issues are. Some people, you know, you're a pre-trib, you're a post-trib guy. Dude, I can't even talk to you. I can't even deal with you. I don't even want to see you get away from me. And then they go and talk about this person, even though they're a fellow brother or sister in Christ. We got we to stop that. This is, just a, this is just good old advice from Uncle Matt. Cut it out. Can we just stop that? Because it's not representing Christ well at all. But there may become a time where we do have to draw a line of separation. And guess what that line of separation is? Next on your notes. The dividing line of fellowship are primary issues not secondary issues. We may have to cut ties with someone like in an intimate friendship relationship with them if they disagree on the primary issues. But let's don't divide over the secondary ones. Romans 14, 13 through 19, Paul deals with this again with another church when we're talking about disagreements and problems inside the the body of Christ, okay? So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Let me give you a real-world example of how this played out, actually, for me and Nina uh, uh, several years ago. We were living in Texas at the time. We are about to move back here to Phoenix. And uh, we went to dinner with a, a gentleman who uh, was very kind to us, very good to us, and uh, still love that guy to this day. I um, don't talk to him very much, but, man, he, he was just very, very pivotal in the role in that time of our life. He invited us over for dinner one day, and he cooked up a bunch of steaks. And if you know me, I'm a southern boy, steaks potatoes, uh, sweet tea, hallelujah. That will get me running around the church right now. But he cooked up all of that stuff, right? He cooked up all that stuff, and he was serving it up, and we sat down at the table, and he went to his cabinet and pulled out this big bottle of red wine. And right before he poured glasses for everybody, he stopped and said, oh, would you guys like some? And we said, oh, no, thanks. That's okay. We don't drink. And he goes, oh, no problem. Put the cork back on and put it away. And I said, Oh, well, if you want, if you want to have a glass, I don't know, we're not bothered by it, just go ahead. And he goes, oh, no, no, not a problem at all. I'll just do so. we'll do, do it later. Why? Because he did not know why I don't drink. He had no point of reference, but why we had decided and made the decision that we're not going to partake in it. And I had no problem with him doing it. Why? Because he did not want to be a reason that we had a problem. It wasn't that important to him. He didn't look at me and be like, oh, you legalistic piece of garbage. I'm going to drink four of these in front of you two at a time, you know, and just like double fist them right in my face. That's not what he was doing. Come to find out his doctor told him to have a glass of red wine every night to help him with the heart condition he was struggling with. 
But out of consideration, he lived that scripture in front of us. He literally lived it out. Why? Because it's not worth dividing over. The secondary thing. If you have a conviction that I should not do this, don't do it. Even if someone else may not have the same conviction to do it, if it's a secondary issue. If it's a scriptural issue, then there can be the, the problem have the conversation. Outside of that, be considerate of one another. We can disagree, but let's not divide over secondary issues. Let's understand what the primary ones are and rally around those. <clears throat> Point number two in your notes. Following spiritual leaders. Following spiritual leaders. Let's recap verse 17 through 20 out of Philippians 3 real quick. Paul says, Your brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven we, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Next on your notes. Paul says to follow the apostles' example, not use them as a replacement for Jesus. Paul says to follow the apostles' example, not use them as a replacement for Jesus. Now, we may look at our Bible and read it and be like, bro, I I respect Paul and Peter and James and John and all these guys. I, I love these guys to death. This is awesome. But I never once thought about replacing Jesus with the apostles. Why would this even matter? Um, because I guarantee you that there was a temptation... For the people who actually saw Paul and listened to Peter and heard the apostles preach to put them on a platform and pedestal where they didn't belong. Matt, how can you be so sure of that? Because we do it today. It's not a, I heard the apostle preach. No, it's a humanity problem. Why? Everybody's looking for a guy. They're looking for the girl. They're looking for that person. They're looking for that one that we can all rally around and everybody puts their faith in and all their hope in and all their trust in. And then eventually what happens? They fall apart. I guarantee you that we see this happen today, right? You've seen this happen with pastors, leaders, teachers, spiritual, um, spiritual leaders, ministers, or whatever. We see this happen today. I guarantee you that if people that were in Philippi, most of them never met Jesus, if, if any of them had ever met Jesus in the flesh, all they hear is about the good news of the gospel, and all they know is Paul, 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 Paul. And what do they start doing? Paul's the guy, Paul's the guy, Paul's the guy, Paul's the guy. And they begin to, from a fallen human condition, try to elevate a man to a position of authority. We try to put him up on this pedestal where he doesn't belong. And after a while, if you do that long enough, what happens is you look at a man and you lift him up high enough, he can kind of start impeding your view of the master. Paul warns Timothy about this. Timothy is his spiritual son, the one, one of the people he is the closest to, poured the time into. He, he and, and Timothy got a track record. They have been through it. They have spilled blood together. They are, they are woven. Their hearts and souls are woven together. And here's what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. through There's one God and one mediator who reconciles God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. No matter how much you like, look up to, adore, follow, believe in your favorite 
preacher, Christian teacher, leader, minister, understand that they are there on an assignment to point you back to God. They are not your mediator. There's one mediator, and his name is Jesus. And let me tell you, there are men, good men and women, who have been involved in ministry for a very long time who have not endeavored to do this, but still done it. They did not start out to want everything to revolve around them, but it still happened because they looked at the longing of the eyes and the hearts of the people that they were called to shepherd and preach to and teach. And they saw, man, they really want something, and I must be here to fulfill that role. And they ignorantly, and I say that as a, uh, not as an insult, but as a, unknowingly stepped into it and tried to become the thing that we were actually supposed to tell people to rely on Christ for. We cannot, as any minister, as any follower of Christ, as any person who's in any type of influence or authority, step in and try to be the mediator because that ain't your job. And I guarantee you, no matter how good you are, how smart you are, how strong you are, how disciplined you are, how godly you think you are, holding up under the responsibility of Christ is not in the cards for you, bro. It won't work. What's that mean? I'm not your mediator. Anyone who stands up here at this pulpit and presents God's word to you, I am not your mediator. That person is not your mediator. We are not your mediator. I'm supposed to be a messenger and a shepherd to help walk through life with you and do what? Pull your head up, help dust you off, teach you, feed you, and say, hey, we both have to look towards Jesus. That's the goal. If you want this to turn into one of those celebrity ministry things, ain't going to happen. Why? Will there not be a temptation to? Oh, there will be. God starts doing stuff and people start patting people on the back and being like, bro, you're doing it the right way. I want to know how you do church. I want to know how you do your groups. I want to know how you put your system together. I want to know how you're the ones who get all these volunteers to go. I want to know how you recruit all these good people. And all of a sudden be like, oh, I got a plan. Mm -mm. Listen to him. Doesn't mean I can't help you. Doesn't mean there's nothing that we can't learn. There's not, doesn't mean there's not an experience in my life that I have learned from, that I have failed to follow God on, and I can show you my scars emotionally, physically, mentally, or whatever that is, and go, man, learn from my mistakes, and go, man, I'm so grateful someone helped me avoid that pitfall. Awesome. Then we've done what we're supposed to do. If we continue to point you to Christ, we have done what we're supposed to do. If we have shepherded you and fed you the real, true word of God without any other input, then we have done what we're supposed to do. But whoever it is that holds the mic or holds is behind the camera or whatever in front of it, who, who is, who's there that you look up to, be careful. I'm not telling you not to follow some of their example. Paul says follow the example, but they are not your mediator. What would Jesus do can turn really quick into, what would Matt do? Mm-mm. You do not know what, want to know what Matt wants to do. Last night, you would not know what, want to know what Matt wanted to do. Last week, you would not know what Matt wanted to do. Because what goes on in his head, sometimes I'm like, good Lord, why did you call me to do this? Because <laughs> I, I got to submit to the same God that you have to. No superheroes in this room. All of us are following Jesus. He, He is the one we shine the light on to run after and follow. Matt, you're kind of destroying the picture I had of you. Mm-hmm. Because if, uh, uh, if you want to really get the real picture of the guy right here, uh, my wife's right here. Just talk to her. She'll correct that real quick. She has no problem doing that. Not just to me, but to anybody else who wants to know. My husband's crap stinks just like everybody else. You don't, you don't want to talk to her? My son's right there. He'll tell you my failures. He agrees. Hallelujah. Yeah, he knows. He knows. 
<laughs> if you don't want to talk to the rest of, to the two of them, if you think it's too close to home, you can talk to my family. Because outside of my wife and my son, I love my brother up on a, like in a an insane way, and he will be the first to tell you, "Oh, that dude, I got the scoop on him. He can set it straight real quick." One of the reasons I'm so adamant about this, and you've probably heard me talk about this more than once in this church, is because um, I've, I was like this. I didn't take a human and put them in the place of God by any means. But I did put, in several different instances, a particular man on a pedestal and always look over at them before I look to Jesus. I should have solely tried to chase after Christ's approval, but man, there's something about when that dude would pat me on the back. And I was in that scenario, and and we were highly involved in ministry, and um, after a long period of time, Nina and I um, went and started to see little things that were kind of not really good start to see things that were kind of exposed after a while and <clears throat> I'd just be like I wonder what that's about I tried to push past it and something else would come up and I'd be like I wonder what that was about and you start having this stirring down in my heart like eh, something's not right here something's not right and so I went and I prayed one day I sat in my truck and parked under a tree at this mall in Texas before it opened and sit there and pray and ask God one day. I said, you know what, God, will you tell me what's going on here? Because there's something off. Something is off. I felt gently the Spirit of God just kind of communicate to me like, I'm going to show you, but you're not going to be the one to expose it. And foolishly, or not not foolishly, but naively, I should say, I went, sure, no problem. Yeah, I want to know what's going on. And you ever asked for something that once you got it, you really wish you didn't have it? So over the period of the next several weeks and several months, um, God did exactly what he said. He started showing me what was going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes, underneath all the garbage and everything. And I was like... Can we stop now? I don't want to know anymore. Like, I'm full. Like, I'm overrunning with all the details and the gory, like, thing. I don't want to know anymore. Don't want to know. And God says, I want to tell you. And the more and more that came out, and the more and more that it kind of, it kind of came out privately, it wasn't like a big, huge public thing. It was kind of private. The more and more that began to, camp, to come out, the more and more angry I got because I was hurt. I was frustrated. I was disappointed beyond measure I was I felt dumb I felt this small because I'm like man I got played I got told it was one thing and it's really a different scenario and oh man it was rough and there was a temptation in me to go you know what I'm not the only one that should know all this I'm gonna well, YouTube was in its infant stages back then, right? So it wasn't really have an opportunity. But I'll make a video and send it to somebody. I'll burn a DVD. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. I'll, make a, I'll put it on a, a CD and send it to somebody. I'll go and meet with the executive leaders that this guy works with, and I'll just go, blah, here's all I got, everything. I'll go, dude, I'm going to go and expose this dude because this is wrong and I got the information. And as soon as I felt that well up in my heart, I felt like the Lord go, "Uh uh-uh. I told you. I'm going to show you. But you're not going to be the one to pull pull it all out. At that point, I went, I wish I never would have made that deal. Because I knew the truth. I knew the dirt, I had the grime, I had the paperwork, I had the receipts, I had it all. I was ready to come out both barrels. 
just let it go. And the Lord would stop me. And I used to think arrogantly, um, God did this because he knows he can trust me to keep a secret. That must be why he told me all this stuff. He, he knows that I'm not going to do it. And he, he just knows somebody needed to know everything. And so it must be me. And so I arrogantly thought, I'm the arbiter of truth. I have, I'll just hold it all right here and I'll just have all the truth and I'll just swallow it and let it go because I can be that big a man. And it wasn't until probably a few years ago as the Lord began to lovingly and embarrassingly but rightly correct my heart on a lot of different things <clears throat> that I realized the real reason I wasn't allowed to say anything. And this is hard to admit. This is going to sting a little bit. So, The truth is, I would never say it. But if I look back on that time and realize the condition of my heart and what my, where my head was, I thought I could do a better job than the guy who was there. And ultimately, there was something inside of me that said, I could replace him. I could do it right. I didn't have all these little things, these big things I found out. I wasn't all acting all like that. Man, I would never say that out loud, but if they would come to me and be like, hey, this is crazy and we need a leader during this time, I would play and push back, oh no, maybe it's not me. Let's just pray about it. But there's something in me and there's at least a possibility. That I would have become the exact same thing. I would like to think that I wouldn't have. I would like to think that I had enough character and inside of me to go, I would never do any of that stuff, but the Lord's been very clear about just what I'm capable of. And not in a way of building the big old thing. No, I'm capable of some jacked up stuff. Here I was thinking that if you trust me, God, that's why you gave me all this stuff. And he's like, no. I'm showing you all this because later you're going to realize that you thought you could stand there and be the guy and have everything revolve around you. And that's not how I want this to work for my people. Have I learned a lot that can help other people? Yeah. Have I made some very foolish mistakes that have led me down a road that is painfully hard to admit sometimes. Yep. Can I help a lot of people through scenarios because of the amount of time I've spent with God, the amount of time I've spent in His Word, the, the gifts He's given me, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the time I've spent? Sure. Absolutely. But that's the nature of discipleship. That's not the nature of a Savior. Because you're not going to stand before God next to me you're going to stand before God on your own and so am I and thank God he prevented me from the judgment that would have rightfully been mine by preventing me from going to the place I wanted to go so what am I supposed to look for in a Christian leader well, in that passage, Paul gives several things. And he asks questions. Here's six of them real quick. i put them in your notes. Does their conduct align with Scripture? I should probably also put in there, do their teachings align with Scripture? Are they headed for destruction? And I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't mean like, or did they like extreme sports? 
like parasailing or gliding or something. No, no, no. I'm not th- are they headed for destruction? Do they always sub- do they all always submit to their fleshly appetites? That typically comes with uh, justification. Justify it. Do they brag about shameful things? Do they only think about earthly things? Are they acting as a citizen of heaven? If you're looking at somebody to say, should I follow that person's example in these areas that resonate with me, that point me closer to Christ, you're going to have to ask these questions. And yes, I realize you're going to have to ask them of me. Am I trying to breed skeptics? No. I'm trying to disciple mature believers to understand what the scripture is and to keep their eyes on Jesus regardless the failures of a man. Am I telling you? Oh yeah, go ahead and fail. We're only men. We're going to look at Jesus anyway. Mm -mm. That's not what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you, every single person, everyone I have ever put up on that pedestal has fallen off and left me at the least sad and disappointed and at the worst, devastated, hurt, and overwhelmed. Because a little bit of my faith was in them when all of it should have been in Jesus. just ask six questions based upon that passage, but there's also one other thing that I want to throw in there is that can we question the leader about these things? I pray to God I have enough honest people around me to go, hey, you said something in that message today that I need to rethink that one. Hey, when we were out the other night, you made a joke and just kind of sat wrong with me kind of inappropriate hey man when you talked to me the other day there's a lot of anger in you and kind of spewed out a whole bunch of stuff man you all right the reason it's important to be able to ask your spiritual leader or whoever it is that you're listening to questions is because next line of your notes leaders who can't be questioned to wind up doing questionable things Leaders who can't be questioned wind up doing questionable things. What am I telling you? Next line in your notes. We should be very cautious about following the examples of any spiritual leader who is not meeting these criteria. You're not looking for perfection. You're looking for scriptural growth and the fruits of salvation and the Spirit. To be active and alive in that person, and guess what? And in us. <clears throat> the last one, last point, uh, line of your notes is straight out of Philippians 4 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. And that's number three. Stay, tr- stay true to the Lord. In point two, we read that scripture where Paul said, if anyone, if any of us, he's talking about Paul, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, uh, all the guys he traveled with, Mark, all the apostles. If we show up here and tell you the, what the gospel is and then we come back again and tell you it's something different, let us be accursed. Accursed. Why? He is saying, don't remain loyal to me. Remain loyal to Christ above everything. Stay true to the Lord, not your preferred leader, minister, or pastor. Now, when I looked at that word my own self, I thought, man, stay true. Kind of what does that mean? Stay true. Sounds good, but I'm kind of a detailed guy. 
my wife. It drives her nuts because she's a bottom line person. So we work really well together. She helps me a lot out on stuff like that. But I drilled down a little bit deeper. And so I looked at this phrase, <clears throat> um, stay true. And it, the original word in the original language of the Bible is uh, stiku. Stiku or steku. And that word, it's in your next line of your notes. It means to persevere, persist, and to keep one standing. So when Paul looks at us and says, stay true to the Lord, he's saying, persevere through hard times, persevere with the Lord. He's saying to persist. Don't let any of these other things in culture shake you. Persist. Be persistent with your relationship and faith in Christ. Keep one's standing. Do not forsake your faith in Him. Go through whatever the struggle is, whatever the glory is, whatever it is. Stay true to Him. Stay, keep your standing with Him. Stay true to Him. I mentioned it earlier, but there's an old school, uh, kind of cheesy Christian saying. All of them are kind of cheesy, but... Um, the old school Christians saying that it wound up on like bracelets and bumper stickers and t-shirts. If you had one of these, please, I'm not making fun of you because I've said it myself. But it was always WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And it was always kind of presented to me as a behavior. I need to act right because would Jesus give those guys a double barrel one-way sign that cut me off on the freeway? No, I got to, you know, probably not what he would do. Would Jesus um, curse that guy out at the office who wound up talking garbage about me behind my back? It was always about behavior. But the reflection question that I have based upon this passage is, for us, I want to go a little bit deeper than just what would Jesus do. I want to personalize that question for ourselves. And I wrote one reflection question at the very bottom of your notes, and it's this. Do my actions and decisions reveal that I am true to Jesus. Yes, you may need to ask, what would Christ do? What would he want me to do? What are his teachings uh, for me in this area of behavior and thought? But the deeper question for me is this, based on that scripture, Philippians 4.1, is do my actions and decisions reveal that I am staying true to Jesus? Did I persist in my faith with Him? Did I persevere through hard times? Did I remain true to Him?